Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your blessings, for allowing us to worship you. We came here to do that and to meditate in your word. And that is why, Father, I pray that you remove me from this message. And please, allow us to hear only the voice of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I was in second grade in a school in Mexico, and the way the school was built was that the first three feet of the wall were brick, and then the rest of the wall were these blocks of glass. At the time when the teachers would leave the classroom, all the students were supposed to stay seated when the teachers needed to go to the office or do whatever. But in my classroom, we were so organized that when the teacher left the classroom, there was always somebody who had a ball and we played soccer on the stage. And like I said, we were really organized. So one of us would have turns to go to the window and see if the teacher was approaching. And that particular day, it was my turn. So as soon as I stuck my head out of the window, I saw the teacher turning the corner from the office and I advised my classmates, the teacher's coming, the teacher's coming, and all of them went to to their seats, and I quickly sat down. And that's when I realized what had happened. On top of my books, I could see a red streak of blood. One of those blocks of glass was broken. The movement was so quick, and the glass was so sharp, I didn't even feel it. But all I could see was the bone from my pinky finger. Quickly, my classmates surrounded me, and they, because, you know, we like blood. And when the teacher came, right away, they realized that I needed help, and there I was, observing the blood leaving my body. I was taken to the hospital and received stitches. I have a scar. Earlier today, I showed that scar to Pastor Rodley, and he almost passed out when he saw it. And see, what happens in life is that oftentimes we get scars. Scars caused by other people. But many of those scars are not necessarily caused by other people. Many times they're caused by our own lack of focus. And those scars are not necessarily on our hands, on our feet or a body, they're in our hearts. So today, I want to take you to a biblical story where we can find the remedy for those scars. So come with me to the second book of Samuel. And in Samuel chapter 11, uh, the second book of Samuel chapter 11, we'll find what this story is about. And it says in verse 1, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. Now, if we were to stop the story right here, it would be one of those stories where David and his army were victorious. Yay! That was awesome, David. You won another battle. But the problem was that the passage does not end like that. It says, but David remained in Jerusalem. David 
remain in Jerusalem. What David didn't know, even after he had fought so many battles, so many wars, so many enemies, that by staying in Jerusalem, he was about to fight the greatest war of his life. The battle against himself. Because you see, that is the greatest battle that we face. And when we lose focus, when we don't pay attention to what's surrounding us, when we miss the guidance of the general, we suffer wounds and scars that remain with us for a long time. So the danger originates from our problem. Whoops, did I go back? And our problem is, our problem is misplaced focus. Instead of focusing on the leadings of God, we focus on distractions. I was reading a book recently that said that we look at our phone screens about 150 times a day distractions. See, David was not supposed to be in Jerusalem. He wasn't supposed to be there. He was not supposed to remain in his palace where he was comfortable. Verse 2 says, that's verse 3. Verse 2 says, one evening David got up from his bed and walked Around the roof of the palace, from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was beautiful. Now, this is quite interesting, because see, in the times of the cities of the Bible, there was a a system, a strategy to build houses and cities. And what happened was that when they built a city, especially a special focus was placed on the palace, on the house of the king. Because that house, that residence, was supposed to be the safest. If enemies would come and try to conquer, that home should be protected. Because that was the house of the king. So as they planned the construction and the places where their closest friends would live, they would always be accommodated close to the palace because that was the area that was the closest. We know a couple of things about this passage. As we read the story of David through the scripture, we find that David had friends that were close to him. He had his 300 and he has his, he has his 30 and he also had his three. And as we read the scripture, we find that Uriah, he was among those men that were part of his inner circle. So he had to live close to David. Now, the evidence that the text tells us is that that this house, this roof that David is looking at, where this woman is taking a bath, is close enough for him to realize that she was beautiful. So we know. That this woman belonged to one of his closest friends. But David, he saw, he liked, he wanted. See, that is not new. In fact, that that same uh, uh, progression exists in Genesis where 
Eve has a conversation with a serpent and along the conversation, Eve appears as looking at the fruit. It was appealing to to the eyes and now she wanted it. That is the progression that leads to fatal destruction. David saw, he, he liked, and now he wanted. And you see, what happens is that when, now David had to make a decision. And what happens is that his decision was this. David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. See family, what has happened here is that David is getting a warning. David, watch out. Yes, she's beautiful, but... She's not just married. She's married to Uriah. Uriah the Hittite. Your friend. But see, what happens is that when our focus is misplaced, it leads to bad choices. You see, our life is the totality of our decisions. Every day we make decisions. Every day we make choices. And most of the time, we make decisions even the day before we have to make the decision. You see, the night before, we decide at what time I'm waking up the next morning. Right? But I think that one of the inventions of the devil has been the snooze button. And see, what happens is that you, you have a commitment. You decide... Tomorrow I'm waking up early. I'm setting out my alarm clock at six, six in the morning. I'm going to go early to make my devotionals, to do my devotionals with God, to go to the gym, work out, and then I'm going to work. I'm going to school. But something happens. Right after you set up your alarm on your phone, you saw the Instagram map. And you start looking at it. And all of a sudden, it's not 10 anymore, it's 11. So you place it on your nightstand, and the next morning you're tired because all that blue light was messing around with your brain. And then, when the phone rings, you know that sound? Uh, uh, uh. If, you, if you don't know if the boat is sinking or if you have to wake up, you say, I'll stay in bed a couple more minutes. And you hit snooze. And then it goes off again. Uh, uh, uh. And you hit snooze again. And again. By now you realize, whoops, I'm super late. And you have to make another decision that was not supposed to be made. I'm late to my devotionals. I'm late for the gym. I have to get to work. Do I take a shower? Or do I go like this? (laughs) And you realize that you don't have time to take a shower or to have breakfast. So you grab a banana, you put it in your mouth, and you leave the house, right? And because you're late, you see that light, you know that light, only light, on all 31, and right when you're about to pass, it turns yellow. You have to make a decision. Do I stop, or do I gas it? 
And of course, because you've seen Fast and Furious, you step on the gas. And right when you cross the intersection, there's that car with a funny light on top. And as he pulls behind you, you stop right in front of the university where everybody can see you. He signals for you to lower your window. And he asked a question. Do you know why I stopped you? And of course you go, no, I don't. Lack of focus leads to bad choices. What happened to David? Then David had a bright idea. Send messages to her house to come with him. He slept with her, and then she went back home. You know, one of my favorite lines in The Chosen is when Jesus gets into a topic that he doesn't want to talk about, and he says, that's a conversation for another time. Well, this is a conversation for another time, but biology took place. And now David finds out that there's a baby on the way. And you know, there is a problem. Because when babies are on the way, they're difficult to cover. But there is another problem. According to the law, people expecting a baby who were not married could be sentenced to die. So now David has a bright idea. I'm going to bring Uriah back from the battle. And I'm, I'm going to make it look like this never happened. So Uriah comes. And David has a conversation with Uriah. Hey, Uriah, how's Joab doing over there? How are things? How's the weather? How are gas prices in that part of town? And after their meal, David said to Uriah, Go down to your house, wash your feet, get comfortable. So Uriah left the place. And David sends them a gift basket. David thought, problem solved. Everything is taken care of. I don't have to worry about it. But notice what happened. But Uriah, remember verse 1? But David is dead in Jerusalem? Well, this is the opposite. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace where all his master's servants... And did not go down to his house. He stayed. He stayed at the palace. He didn't go home. The next morning when David find, finds out that the plan didn't work, he says, okay, I got to try this again. So he tried it again. But this time, he made sure that Uriah would not be able to make good choices. And it says that David made him what? Drunk. But that evening, Uriah didn't go home either. David thought that his plan was going to work. 
to cover his series of bad choices. But it didn't work. Instead, he learned another lesson. That misplaced focus leads to pain. In verse 14, 14, we read that in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. This was his master plan to make sure that that problem would not be a problem anymore. And in the letter, he writes, put Uriah, he tells Joab, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so that he will be stuck, struck down and die. Here is a testament of the faithfulness of Uriah. Because he carried the letter with him. He could have have opened it, read it, and say, wait, what? I'm not going back. But Uriah was faithful to the most simple task. And with him, he didn't know he was carrying his death sentence. Now the news came back. Uriah is dead. The first one we read in the scripture that suffered pain was Bathsheba. Her faithful husband had died in battle. That baby that was conceived with David, as we read the story, he had also died. So now David is hurting. And to make matters worse, Nathan the prophet comes to David and tells him, your whole family is going to suffer pain from now on. Bad choices, lack of focus, were the recipe for pain for a generation that wasn't even born yet. But you see, when our focus is misplaced and we make bad decisions and we start suffering pain, there's something that we should never forget. And that is that our God always, in our misplaced focus, tells us that we need redemption. And for that, He always provides the means and the ways for our redemption. So God said, sends the prophet Nathan to David. And Nathan, as he comes to David, Nathan is a, it's a wise man because he doesn't come to David like John the Baptist accusing. He comes to tell him a story. And he says, David, you know, there were two men. And one was very poor. Very poor. He only had enough money to buy one lamb, one Yui lamb that he loved. He cared for it. In fact, he fed him from his own plate. And wherever he traveled, he took him with him in the airplane as his emotional pet. But what happened is that there's another man in the story. And that's a rich man. And this rich man had many animals, many herds. But sometime, one man came to visit him. And he decided that he was going to give him lamb for dinner. And he went to the house of the poor man, took his only lamb, took it back to his house, killed it, and made tacos for the visitor. David is enraged. No, that cannot be allowed. That man needs to die. 
In fact, he should pay four times for what he's done. And Nathan is just waiting for a moment of pause to tell David, David, you are the man. So I want to ask a question this morning. Have you suffering pain due to your lack of focus? If you are, I want to tell you that you are that man. You are that woman. Today, you need redemption. In verse 13, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. In fact, Patriots and Prophets says in page 726 that this passage in David's history is full of significance to the repentant sinner. Anybody seen her here? It is one of the most forcible illustrations given us of the struggles and temptations of humanity. In other words, this is an x-ray of our reality. But it says, of genuine repentance towards God... And faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. David didn't know that he was going to become the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Yet, he experienced his forgiveness. He experienced his redemption. Now, we could ask a question. Did God really forget David? I mean, he, he, he was an adulterer, he was a, a liar, he was a murderer. Did God really forgive him? Paul talks about this event. In fact, he talks about that specific thing. When he says, and Luke records it in the book of Acts, God testified concerning him. Who's testifying here? God. God testifies, says Paul, concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, and he includes son of Jesse so that we don't confuse him with another David. David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, says God. He will do everything I want him to do. Was David redeemed? Yes, he was. In fact, to the point that God calls him, only him, a man after my own heart. I was about four years of age. And uh, my parents took me to visit a family member that I didn't know much about. In this apartment complex, where there were multiple buildings and all of them were identical. So when we got to the place, there were other cousins, other members of the family there gather, and uh, I was one of the youngest ones, and I was bored to death. So my uncle tells my oldest cousin, go to the store and buy something. So all the little cousins, we got up and went with our cousin to the store. When he bought whatever he needed to buy, we were coming back to the apartment, and one of us had the bright idea and said, Let's run back to see who gets there first. So there, we all took off, and I thought, I'm going to take a shortcut. 
and I made a turn. And when I arrived to the place that I was sure it was my uncle's house and I had beaten everybody, I knocked on the door and a lady that I've never seen in my life opens the door. And the house is empty. And and I said, where's my uncle? Where's my family? And she says, who's your family? I realized quickly that I was at the wrong place. So I got out of that building and I went to another one that looked just like it. And I knocked on an apartment that I thought it was my uncle's house. But again, another person opened the door that was completely unknown to me. And I tried that. Several times. I don't know how long it took. But it was already getting dark. But I did not want to accept that I was lost. I was sure I was going to find my way. And I tried. And I tried. And I tried. And every single time that I knocked on a door, I failed. It was not my uncle's house. Until I went out to try another building. And I see that around the corner, a person is turning. And I see that that person was my mom. She saw me. I saw her. She ran towards me. I ran towards her. She hugged me. And I hugged her. She cried. And I didn't cry. And I realized one thing. That those times when we need God the most is when He is looking for us. But we don't want to accept that we need Him. That's when we lose our focus. See, David lost his focus in the same way that you and I do it. We get distracted with things that we think are going to be beneficial, that we think are going to give us happiness, but instead all they do is lead us to pain and suffering. So today I want to invite you to listen to the voice of God, to trust that your pain, He is the only one that has the power to take away. And He will bring you to the safe place where you are supposed to be. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your blessings. And we thank you for allowing us to to call you Father, to call you God. Many of us are in pain today, suffering, because of our consequences. And we don't think oftentimes that our decisions can be forgiven. But if you forgave David, most definitely you have the power and the love to forgive all of us here today and all of us watching online. And Father, I pray that the peace that you gave David be given to us and the assurance that today we belong to you. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen.